with over 2 million working parts. The eye is the most complex organ in the body after the brain. The eye cannot be transplanted. Each eye is connected to the brain with over a million nerve fibers. There's the retina, the iris, pupil, lens, cornea, optic nerves, and ciliary muscles. Without any of these parts, you'd be blind. Jesus restored sight to a man who had been blind his entire life. On one occasion, Jesus prepared enough food to feed around 15,000 people with nothing but two fish and five loaves of bread in a day. Clocking in at four minutes per fish filet sandwich, it would take a fast food restaurant over 40 days to feed the same crowd. The human body can be clinically dead for four to six minutes before your brain cells and other organs begin to die. In the right conditions, CPR can keep a person alive for around 45 minutes. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, he had been dead for four days. Don't you hate when you're at a wedding and they run out of wine? 2,000 years ago, you couldn't just run down to Food Line. There are between 600 and 800 grapes in a bottle. Jesus saved the party by turning approximately 150 gallons of water into wine in only a few seconds. That's 757 bottles. Think of the worst storm you've ever been in. Now imagine being in the middle of the sea in a rickety old sailboat at night. The Sea of Galilee is prone to violent and sudden storms. Just when the waves had nearly swamped their boat, the sailors woke Jesus from sleeping. Jesus told the wind and the waves to be still, and they were. Well, I love to eat. Can anyone feel me on that? Yes. I love it. And some of my best moments in life have been around food. Like, for instance, my first date with my wife, we went to eat. Right? And some of you are thinking the miracle is she said yes. Yeah, it's not funny. Um, don't laugh. I don't like that. But um, anyway, so we went to go eat. And here's the thing that's so powerful about food in that moment. It was great because she looked beautiful. I remember picking her up and driving her to the restaurant. We went to this roadhouse place on uh, Barrett Parkway in Kennesaw, Georgia. And there's a lot I remember about the date because we laughed a lot. Um, we, we just had a great time. And some of you, you, you remember back on dates like that. And you're just like, wow, hopefully it's with a person you're with if you're married. But um, you remember we had a great time together. And I remember that day. There's so many details I remember. But I don't remember what she was wearing. You know, and that's kind of like something that a lot of times I know um, that, that uh, wives remember those kind of details. But I do remember what I ate. And I don't know what that says about me. Uh, but I do remember that, that Parmesan peppercorn chicken. And I remember biting into every delicious bite and going, this is fantastic. And I remember she looked good and she smelled good, but I don't remember what she was wearing. So um, with that said, one of the best moments of my life happened over food because she said yes to a second date and subsequently many more to the point where she said, I do. Now, uh, we've also had some pretty funny moments when it comes to food. And uh, there's one classic moment in our family that I will not um, call anybody out, but one of my kids had a birthday. And at this birthday party, we served cake. And the cake on the plate flipped in a manner that was not pleasing to this individual. And 
Uh, there is legendary video footage of this that we still go back and watch like once a month. And, and this person in my family is, is saying in the video, I want it turned over. And then the voice gets, it starts escalating, I want it turned over. I want it turned over. And I, and I put the camera on this individual and they smile. And then it just gets worse from that point on to where they start attacking me. And um, they, they were young in their defense, but it's hilarious. And, and, and food was a central part of what was happening in that moment. There's also uh, some of the, the worst times have happened, uh, have involved food. And, and you guys can all relate to this. When you, you get down, maybe not the first day, I'm talking like more like the 50th date, uh, and, and you're tired and you're worn out and you're about to go to dinner, but you haven't really made plans and you haven't decided on what you're going to do. And this is the question that every man should be terrified to ask um, is, where do you want to go eat? You, you, I mean, you, you, you've gone down that road. And if you're a smart aleck like me, when that question isn't responded to with like uh, a place, it's, uh, I don't know, where do you want to go? Uh, then I'll say something that I know she doesn't want to go eat, like I'll say McDonald's or Burger King and uh, something fast food, and she's like, <sighs> I'm like, well, as you've, you've had this back and forth before to where what started off as it should have been a good experience because you're going to go eat food because you're hungry and you're tired is now a horrible experience, and it's like we're fighting over food. And like, well, how did this even happen? And a lot of you can feel me because you've been there or you've seen your parents do that, or you've done it. And so it's kind of like, why do we do that? I don't know. Um, but words of advice, just don't ask that question. It's, it's a bad question. So uh, with that said, I think we all can agree with uh, the candy bar Snickers that you're not yourself when you're hungry, right? You know, we, know, we know these commercials. They're great. Um, some of my all-time favorite are the Betty White ones. But you, you, you understand this idea that you're not yourself when you're hungry. Your capacity to get angry, your capacity to get mad, your capacity to do and say things that you normally wouldn't say and do are so much higher because food is powerful. And so as we think about that idea, I want to take you back on a little bit of a journey to when I took our staff here in Jamestown to a conference in Atlanta and my mom lives in the suburbs of Atlanta, and she said, hey, when you come down, I'll cook for you, which is amazing, because when my mom cooks, it's like, bam! You know, it's like this emerald-type moment of, you know, bam! And it's like, this is so good. And I like bam, because my initials are bam, and I don't like my initials at BM, because BM stands for, you know. And, and so I like bam, because I identify with bam. When someone says bam, it just makes me happy. And I think about my mom's cooking, because my mom's cooking is out of this world. And so we went down, and... She prepared a feast, and we have a picture of this feast right here. And right, what you would see, uh, you can look on the, the bigger screens if you like, but there are steaks, there are salmon fillets, there are, are homemade mashed potatoes with very um, fattening ingredients, um, but they taste so good, right? And then the green beans, I know she had corn on the cob for this meal. She had salad with all the toppings. And then she had fresh squeezed lemonade. Mmm. You just, mmm. I can just taste it right now. And then to top it off, which is not pictured, is we had dessert. And it's not just like one dessert. She's the kind that puts out a cheesecake. And if you don't like cheesecake, then she puts out chocolate chip cookies. 
And if you don't like chocolate chip cookies, she puts out brownies. And then she, she says, well, I'm going to give you the a la mode option. So then there's ice cream. And, and you may understand what those experiences are, are like, but it's like, oh, my gosh. I, I, I think this could be heaven. Um, and if, it, if heaven is better than this, then I can't wait. But, but that's what happens when you go to mama's house. You get fed, you get fed a lot, and you get fed well. And a lot of you can identify with that. And you can identify with this idea as I throw this food up here. And I kind of feel sorry for the 11 o'clock service because they're probably going to be hungry. And if you skipped breakfast this morning, right now, I apologize because you may be experiencing some salivation. Um, but that's normal. And hopefully you'll be able to get out of here pretty quickly because I won't speak too long. And you'll, you'll be okay because, you, you know, you, you need to eat. And your stomach right now is going, feed me. And, and, uh, but we'll eventually get there. But the, the significance of food we know is powerful. We can tie it back to many memories in our lives that have been fantastic, whether it be a first date, whether it be a wedding, whether it be a birthday, whether it be any kind of occasion. I can remember food being tied to every special occasion in my life. Sometimes there have been hard occasions. I remember when my father died, people brought our family food. I remember them doing that. Um, when something happens like that, People just bring you food. That's kind of what we do here in the South, am I right? Um, but food is powerful, and food communicates, and smells of food communicate. And so it, it's, it's a perfect, I think, segue into where we're going today because the miracle we're going to talk about is that time that Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families. And, and the thing about it is this was one of the largest meals ever served in, in the history of the world, one of the largest meals ever presented, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, but how it happens and how that intersects with our life, I think is extraordinary. And, I, and if you take in the application of what God has from this story today, I, I guarantee you, you will be better. Um, you'll, you'll, it'll make your life better and it, you'll be better at life because this miracle intersects so much with where you and I live every single day. And so we're going to be looking at the feeding of the 5,000, which interestingly is one of the only uh, miracles recorded in all four Gospels. Um, Gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories about Jesus and his life and his ministry. And the thing about that, that, that that's really, I think, even more interesting is the only other miracle recorded in all four Gospels is the resurrection of Jesus, which is what our foundation is for Christianity. So I think we should pay attention to what's contained here and what God has for you and for me. And so just to give you a little backdrop, Jesus, his disciples, they're going around, they're doing ministry. They're, they're teaching people incredible things. They're healing people. People are, are, are flooding to them, and they're working hard, and they're working so hard, they're tired, and they're hungry. And then they have people who are jealous. You ever had someone be jealous of you? That can be kind of exhausting. But there are people who are jealous of them, and they're saying bad things about them, and it's like, I love you, and they're esteemed, and they're held up by all these people who are seeking them out. And then they have people who are saying, I hate you. You're, you're taking away the attention. You're making me jealous. And this was the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, 
it was like this up and down kind of experience of emotions. And so they're feeling stressed, they're feeling tired, they're feeling hungry, they're looking for a quiet place. And some of you understand when the, mag, when the, when the noise is turned up in your life, the demands have turned up in your life, and it's getting so stinking loud, you just want a quiet place. Am I right? You just want it to be quiet. Being a father of four kids, sometimes I just want it to be quiet. They went away for uh, a couple days this past week, and I was home alone. I could hear birds. <laughs> I, and weirdly enough, when I'm by myself, which is not very often, I hear like this buzzing in my ears. I'm like, what is wrong? Like, I'm so around noise all the time, but now I hear this buzzing. I'm like, oh, great. Now I've got ear damage. I didn't even know it. But anyway, that's beside the point. So you understand what it's like when it's just so much. You just want to get away. You just want to retreat. You're feeling burned out. You're feeling stressed. This is the climate that they're facing. On top of it, Jesus is grieving the loss of one of his best friends, his first cousin, who we know in the Bible as John the Baptist. And so you got grief piled on top of all that other stuff. And so we're going to pick up the story right there in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. It sounds so good. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Now, I don't forget to eat very often, but you know when someone's this busy, they're busy. They're, 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 they're getting after it. They don't even have time to eat. So they're going to try to go find that place. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 32, it continues. So they left uh, the boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. So they, they, they take a boat ride. They're trying to find that quiet place where no one is demanding anything of them. And this is what happens. Verse 33. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. You have people see you that you wish they didn't see you? I, I, I think in some ways they may have been some of that feeling. They're like, oh, man, they saw me. Okay. I'm going to have to talk to them now. And this may be where you, maybe you've had that experience before. Some of you are like, yes, I have. And people from many towns went ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. I think it's significant that people ran. They didn't have Nikes. They didn't have good shoes. They didn't have running shoes or Asics or whatever brands you like. They were probably running in bare feet and, and, and whatever they could attach to their feet. But they were running because they were anticipating where Jesus and his disciples were going. And because they wanted their help, they wanted that touch so desperately. And so Jesus and his disciples get there. The people are there. And in verse 34, Jesus saw. Now I want to just stop with those two words. Jesus saw. What would you see? Put yourself in that position. What would you see? You're tired, you're stressed, you're burnt out, you're grieving. And you see a crowd of people, and they're coming after you, and they're needy, and they want you, and they need you. 
And it kind of reminds me of the time that my wife uh, had to change one of our kids' diapers, and I would go and try to do it, and he would say, Mommy's job. And, and, uh, and it's just like, oh, man, you just need me and want me and all the time, and I, and I can never get a break. What would you see? I hate to admit it, but I would probably be like, oh, come on. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion. Now, that's probably not the response that most of us would have, which he's Jesus, right? He had compassion. But I think if we were to dig in this even a little further, compassion here and seeing means that he saw them as people. And not just as a, a crowd, a faceless crowd of, oh, this mass of humanity, what am I going to do? He saw names. He saw stories. He saw hurts. He saw depressed people. And he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were, they were, they were wonderingly, wondering aimlessly, uh, needing direction, needing help, needing guidance. Not sure what they're going to do with the, the next part of their lives. So much so, they're running to find Jesus and encounter Jesus. Sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And if you look at the other accounts in, in Matthew and in Luke and in John, he also begins healing them. So in a moment where it would make sense for him to hide, to go the opposite direction, he sees them where they are. And he, instead of running away, he engages. Verse 35 and 36. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, okay, Jesus, you're going too long with this teaching and healing thing. Remember our purpose? The purpose of this trip was rest. The purpose. And, and we're not accomplishing this purpose. And this is like a, in the middle of nowhere. You ever been in the middle of nowhere? There's plenty of the places in the triad you can find in the middle of nowhere. This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Very practical, Jesus. Jesus, we're helping you set boundaries. Jesus, you need to get it together. You, you're, not, you're not doing very good with your self-care, Jesus. It's, it's time for you to, to send the crowds away. And what does Jesus say? <laughs> you feed them. And their response is like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> and if you are 40 and over, you got what I just said. <laughs> if you're not, then you're going to have to look it up on YouTube. But it will change your life when you meet um, Gary Coleman and, and you see what he used to do and that artistic masterpiece of different strokes. Anyway, so he says, you feed them. And they say, with what? What? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Months. Like they're, they're pulling out, they're getting their robes and pulling out their pockets and their robes and the robe under the robe. And they're like, well, we got nothing, man. We'd have to work for months. And so... He sends them to try to find food. And this is what happens. 
How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find it and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Okay. 5,000 men, women, children. Okay. Where did these come from? Well, in this account of, of this, the, the, the miracle, we don't know. If you look at Matthew's account, we don't know. If you look at Luke's account, we don't know. But John places the detail of where we find where the five loaves of bread and two fish come from. And it's in John 9, or 6, 9. They say, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But then check this out, this question. But what good is that? We'll stop there for a second. Have you ever kind of looked at your resources or you've looked at someone else's resources and like, well, what can you do with that? And it makes me just think back to another old, um, not show, but movie like Rudy and the way he was looked at. What can you do with that? What can you do with that kind of player? And that's, that was the response is, hey, this is nothing. What this kid has to offer is minuscule. Is this a joke? What good is that with this huge crowd? And then Jesus, where I imagine, again, feeling compassion for his disciples because he felt compassion for this crowd, probably like, okay, I'm going to give you some instruction in verses 39 and 40. We told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. I can't imagine what that would be like to organize the probably 20,000 people. That would be, that's just to get the number I'm throwing out, because the women and children weren't counted in this number of the 5,000 men, which, you know, that says a lot about what we're going to be talking about here, and we'll come back to the little boy here in a few moments. But anyway, they sit them down, and then this is what happens in the next verses. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to all the people. The five loaves and two fish distributed to probably 20,000 people, the 5,000 men, and then they did the same with the fish. I don't know exactly how that happened, but it happened. Recorded in four different accounts. And it's, it's amazing. And so you look at then what ended up happening when they were done distributing it in the next verses. People ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. And a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Now, I think about that. Not only did he give them enough to eat, they ate until they were full. And then he had leftovers, which I love leftovers. Some people hate leftovers, but I love leftovers. They're like a treat to me because if it's a, a good culinary experience to begin with, I mean, you go in and my mom made steak in the last visit, which was last week. We went down and she made steak again, which she's like, I'm waiting for you to get down here to make steak because I didn't come down with my family initially because I had to speak at a camp, which was fantastic. But that's way more detail than you wanted. Um, but I went down to her, to her house, and when I arrived, she made me steak. And the next day, I had a steak salad, just slicing up that, that ribeye. Or that, uh, it, it was just, oh, so good. Enjoyed over and over again. There's leftovers. 
Jesus went above and beyond this whole idea of I'm just going to feed the crowd. I'm going to meet their need, and then I'm going to go further. And here's the thing for you. Here, here's, if you don't hear me say anything else today, I want you to hear this, is that Jesus can do a lot with a little. Jesus can do a lot with a little. And then the wild thing to think about in, in relation to this is that uh, he can even do a lot with a lot. And, and see, for a lot of us, we're like, well, I don't have a little, I have a lot. Well, Jesus can do a lot with a lot, but a lot to us is a little to him. Am I right? I mean, if he really put everything into motion and God is as big as we say he is and believe he is, and that Jesus, being God with skin on, came and took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed probably 20,000 people, Jesus can do a lot with little. He can do a lot with a lot, but a lot to us is a little to him. And Jesus can make your life better and make you better at life. I think it's pretty extraordinary. And I see one person here that I want to talk about a little bit more. And then there's another person I want to talk about. And I want to, I want to, I want to kind of contrast them. And I want you to see where you find yourself in all this. But we first have the little boy. What's so extraordinary about the little boy is he wasn't even counted. He was a nobody. What good is what he has to offer to this crowd? He was seen as insignificant, just a boy. And yet when it came to the miracle that we're talking about more than 2,000 years later, who are we talking about? The little boy who offered what he had. How he went about doing that, I'm not quite sure. But he offered what he had. I wonder if there were other people in the crowd that had stuff that they went to that hoarder mentality of, I'm going to hold, I'm going to grab. It's mine. It's in my hands. It's for my consumption. It's mine and mine, mine. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I mean, we take that mentality all the time. Yet, the little boy offered what he had. It was an incredible act of trust. And then seeing God's provision and the trust. A lot of us can relate to the little boy. Man, I don't, ha- I don't necessarily have a lot. But the idea that Jesus can do a lot with my little is a big deal. This past week, I was in Atlanta. I took a tour of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Now, for me, I, I wanted to do that because to the great um, disappointment of many of you, I'm a Falcons fan. And we're in Panther territory. But I can't help it, y'all. I, I grew up there for 32 years. My dad took me to games. Like, it's just part of it. It's like, in, I ate hot dogs there. Like, I mean, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, worst bathrooms in the world. But it, it made an impression. And the Falcons were terrible. And then when they go to the Super Bowl, they still play terrible. Um, but I'm not bitter. But, but they built this new stadium and it's incredible, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And so you can go and, and pay to be part of this tour. And we went in, and, and you walk in, and it's just, it's massive. And I was taking pictures of the ceiling, which I don't know what I'm going to do with that picture, but um, it, this is just, I, I, I'm going to take a picture because this looks cool. And, and I was taking pictures of the stadium, and they walk you around, and 
they show you all the different like boxes that people can rent, and they take you into the locker rooms. And like you can rent out the Falcons locker room, and Matt Ryan's locker is here, and Julio Jones locker here. And some of you are like, I hate sports. Please stop talking about it. But I, I get a little geeked up about it. And then we saw the, where the Atlanta United uh, soccer team's locker room is, and I, I don't follow them as much as the Falcons, but they're a good team. And so we were getting to hear about uh, them and and what the experience is like on game day. Uh, but what really stuck, stood out to me about the tour is Arthur Blank. Now, he wasn't there. Um, he was too busy to hang out with us that day. But if you know Arthur Blank, he was famous for Home Depot. He was CEO of Home Depot. And then he bought the Falcons. And he owns 80% of this stadium. I found out he owns Atlanta Falcons, which I actually already knew that. The Atlanta United, many other things he owns. And then they tell me that he has $4 billion. Uh, that's his net worth. And I'm like, why are, why are you telling me all this? I don't, I don't care. And then they go on to show you his suite. He's got, he's got a box at the 50-yard line. And you can't rent his suite. You can rent anything else in the stadium, but you can't rent Arthur Blank's suite. He has two identical levels with elaborate marble countertops that were imported from somewhere fancy, uh, I think Italy. Uh, and then he has uh, his own uh, bar, and it's just, it's, it's just expansive expansive, and, and these plush seats. And they were talking about where he's got quail, a quail feather uh, piece of artwork, which I'm like, I don't know what that's worth, but I guess it's worth a lot. Um, some of you may know a lot about quail feathers. Uh, I thought that was an interesting detail. Didn't mean a lot to me. But they said he, he drives on game day. He has a personal chauffeur. They drive him up to his elevator, and he takes his personal elevator up to his suite. And the only way you can get in is if he invites you. And I started thinking about this as they would talk about how much he had. And, and in our frame of mind, that would be a lot. Not many people can touch that. But even to God, Jesus can do a lot with a little and a lot with a lot, but a lot to us is a little to him. And what I want to say is we are probably somewhere on the spectrum of the little boy and Arthur Blank. I mean, maybe you relate more on the Arthur Blank side. Maybe you relate more on the little boy side. But the truth of the matter is, we're all somewhere probably in between that. And God has given us a certain amount of, of time and, and talents and treasures that we get the opportunity to offer other people. And, and as we get closer to, to landing where we are this morning, I want to talk about that a little bit. You see, two and a half years ago, Summit Church Jamestown was an idea. And one of the things I love about our church and I love about what we get to do is we get to engage this community. We get to help this school, whether it's serving a meal to the football team, or, which we're about to do, or uh, grilling out and, 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 and then selling it to raise money for the athletic boosters, or whether it's we install stuff in this um, auditorium that we can use but also share with the school. 
we've, we've got the National Day Out coming up that we're going to participate in, which happens at Ren Miller Park. And the people from the town of Jamestown called us, and they said, hey, we'd love for you all to be involved in this. And what's beginning to happen, y'all, after two and a half years, is that people are calling us saying, can you help with this? Will you do this again? And, and the reason that's happening is because you've been generous and you've offered yourself. Many of you have offered yourselves on a week-in and week-out basis. We have so many people that come here and experience church for the very first time and are willing to come because of the environment that many of you take the time to create. So I briefly, as we go toward, again, landing our time together, I want to talk through three areas. The three areas I want you to think about today, and, and that's offering your time. Understanding that Jesus can do a lot with a little. Where can you offer your time? And I have a challenge for you. I want to challenge you to take the 168 hours that you have in a week and take time to inventory how you use it. You know that hopefully seven or eight of those hours are sleep. Now, that may be a little bit ambitious for some people, but you know that, that a lot of it's going to be accounted for right there. If you work or you go to school, probably another seven or eight hours, but you still, when you do the math, there are a lot of hours left over. Where do you need to offer your time? I'm not there yet, but I'm still talking about time. Where do you need to offer your time? I'll get to that. Because it's a limited resource, but we all have the same amount. See, Jesus can do a lot with little. And if you were to inventory your time and come and show me that you did this for just one week, I'll buy you coffee. You come and show me and say, hey, this is what I learned from it, I'll buy you coffee. I dare you to do it. I, yeah, that's, that's a little I have to offer. I would love to see what would happen if you really begin to see how you spend your time. There's also your talents. Man, God has gifted you. God has given you ability. God has given you resources. God has given you the ability to make a difference in someone's life. And sometimes it's just by being there. God has given you strength. God has given you muscles. God has given you the ability to do things with your body that not everybody can do. And some of you, you, you offer that here at this location on a week-in, week-out basis, whether it's our setup and teardown team or in the hallways or with our, our, our peak ministry or our kids' summit ministry or even with our impact ministry. You offer your time and talents or maybe as a group leader. I can go on and on, but you have talents that God has given you to be used. See, Jesus can do a lot with a little. And what could he do with your talents if you were to choose to say, I offer this to you? And then last, we have treasures. I'm ready for it now. There we go. Our, our treasures. And, and here's the thing about our treasures. Everything that passes through our hands is not for just our consumption. And it's one of the things I want to be known for is I want to know, be known for being a generous church. I want, to, I want to see how we can help other churches. I want to see how we can help other people. I want to see how we can help other organizations and partner this community to make a difference for them because we are for them. One of our sister churches, uh, Oak Ridge, Summit Church Oak Ridge, they have a campaign, 4NW. I love that concept because the church needs to be known more for what it's for than 
than what it's against. And when you are generous and you say, you know, everything that's passed in my hands is not just for my consumption. Jesus does a lot with that little. So the question I have for you is, what's your next step in offering your time, your talents, or your treasures? What's the next step? We all have one. And what could happen? What kind of miracle could God do if you didn't say, I'm too tired, I'm too stressed, I'm too burned out? What could happen if you just said, even though I may be in this state, I'm offering it up to you. What kind of refreshment and what kind of miracle could God do in you? And what could he do in us? You're sitting here or you're watching eventually online for a purpose today. It's not by accident. You see, Jesus can do a lot with a little, and he wants to do that with you, and he wants to do that with me. So what I'd like for you to do now is to meditate on that idea by standing up with me. Our band's going to come out on stage. And for the last time in this series, we're going to sing miracles, knowing and believing that that's what God wants to do in and through you. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you that Jesus offered his time, his talent, and his treasures sacrificially. We thank you for the little boy who offered what he had. And that today, 2,000 plus years later, we're still talking about the uncounted, the insignificant, nobody noticed, nobody saw, little boy who said, I'm going to give you what I have. So I pray that you would open us up to take that next step, whatever it is, knowing that you're a God of miracles. I pray as we sing that song, you would help us to to be people of action. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.